Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. Today we're talking about my favorite Momentus product of all time, the new collagen shot. Collagen shot. The reason is, basically as I've gotten older, everything gets put through this filter. Is it easier for me to do or do I have to take a hundred steps to do it? And you know what I'm talking about. You're like, ah, I really like that shirt on Instagram. And then you're like, oh, jump through 400 steps. You're like, I can't, I can't buy that. So a lot of the things that we talk about at home with our girls and ourselves is behavior change. How do we make it easier for people to do the right thing? This portable collagen shot is in the size of a goo packet. It's so easy to just smash. It tastes it's really tasty right it's before really training. Tasty. Boom. And guess what? My collagen usage has gone up 100%. Why? Because I don't have to like pull out a blender bottle. Did I mention that it's really tasty? Yeah, it is tasty. That's useful. So even my oldest daughter, Georgia, is suddenly like, oh, I can have some collagen. It's so easy. 10 grams of collagen, which is kind of a minimum therapeutic dose, and the vitamin C is already built in. So you don't have to go and seek the vitamin C. You don't have to pull out your shaker cup. You don't have to stir up the chunks of collagen in your coffee. You just shoot this. And it is, I've stashed them in my bike kit. I've stashed them near my weightlifting shoes. It's just there all the time. I just want to say, too, I just took a trip, and it was way easier than scooping little scoops of collagen what? into a Ziploc bag. have collagen bag. all the time? Yeah, it was awesome. Game changer. Uh, to check out the collagen shots, go to thereadystate.com slash momentous. Use code TRS for 20% off your first order. This episode of The Ready State is brought to you by Virtual Mobility Coach. This may sound crazy, but last year, I kind of tried to clone my husband. Awesome. Only kind of, though. You see, Kelly gets dozens of requests every day for help. And even though he wants to give everyone his personal attention, there just aren't enough hours in the day. So I typed in how to clone a human being into Google. Just kidding. But in seriousness, what we did do was create our virtual mobility coach platform. It's like having a virtual Kelly Star ad in your pocket. Which obviously everyone needs. I mean, that's right. I personally create over 600 mobility protocols for the virtual mobility coach. So the platform can help you with almost any movement problem imaginable. For example, let's say you're in pain. The VMC will show you a diagram of the human body. All you have to do is click where it hurts. And from there, we'll serve you up a customized pain prescription we call Mobility RX. The virtual mobility coach can also help you warm up and cool down when you exercise. Every day, we provide fresh pre- and post-workout mobilizations for more than four dozen sports and movements. Plus, on your days off, we even have a video called Daily Maintenance to help you relax and recover so you can get back 100% in record time. And best of all, right now you can try Virtual Mobility Coach free for two whole weeks. So you can check out everything it has to offer without paying a penny. Claim your free 14-day trial of Virtual Mobility Coach now. Go to thereadystate.com slash free trial. That's thereadystate.com slash free trial. And we'll see you inside. As founder and CEO of Very, Jason McCann's mission is to help companies create environments that elevate people. A lifelong entrepreneur, Jason has more than 30 years of experience building and running successful companies. He learned the importance of putting the customer first early on while working in his mother's hair salon as a child. Jason co-founded Veridesk in 2013, and the brand quickly became synonymous with sit-stand desks. Under his leadership, the company grew at an incredible pace and expanded its product and service offerings significantly, calling for its new, more inclusive name, Very. Today, the company has grown into a workspace innovation company that provides everything high-growth businesses need to unlock the potential of their workforce— 
from a full suite of office furniture to the workspaces themselves, offering a space as a service with Veraspace. Kelly and I have been familiar with Jason, his team, and Veri's products for years and are huge fans. Enjoy our conversation. Jason, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to today. There's so much to get There's into. There's so much to get into here. But I just want to start by saying, you know, we're gigantic fans of you and what you're doing at Very. I think, as you know, we're huge fans. But before we get into talking about how we work and the best ways to work and all the things you guys are doing there to sort of transform offices and how we work as humans, tell us a little bit about, because I know you have a long and storied history of entrepreneurship before you took over as CEO of Very. And I realize that that alone could be a podcast, but maybe you could give us just a little Reader's Digest version of like, you know, you pre-very, pre-Veridesk. Yeah, you know, the first entrepreneur and CEO I knew was my mom. So growing up in Galveston on the island, I got to uh, got to sweep plenty of hair for my mom in her hair salon when I was probably 10 to 12 years old. And she said eventually I had to go out and get a real job. So I started working on the beaches in Galveston, doing chairs and umbrellas, and then eventually opened up my own chair and umbrella company and great experience there and studied hospitality at the Hilton College of Hotel and Restaurant Management at U of H. And it was a great opportunity. I thought I wanted to be in the hospitality industry and opened up a restaurant and nightclub called Yaga's. So we played live band seven nights a week and did an incredible era in Houston during the, the Rockets heyday of Akeem Olajuwon. So that was fun in the early 90s. Decided the restaurant industry was not my calling, so sold it out to our partners, started working on my MBA, and ended up in the pog craze, which started out of Hawaii, you know, these crazy milk caps, and ended up in the toy business for a few years. Jumped into the dot-com business in the late 90s and learned how to go boom and bust during the heyday of the the (laughs) dot-com craze. You and me both, you and me both. (laughs) There's a few million of us out there that got recalibrated. And it was a it was a great learning chapter and had a chance to became very good friends with Dan Flaherty, my business partner during that, because when you lose a lot of money with somebody, you learn a lot about friendship and what people are really like. So we went bust together. But he had a business called Jemmy Industry. So they're known today for all those crazy inflatables that you see on people's yards for Halloween and Christmas, the singing fish that went on the wall, Big Mouth Billy Bass Fish. And so I had a chance to be president of Dan's company. And one day Dan was standing in a cardboard box with back pain. And that's sort of my uh, entrepreneurial dots here as we connect them. Well, I just have to say that Kelly and I have, um, again, we're really going to separate ourselves from the pack. And we've actually had a chance to visit the Inflatables showroom, um, showroom of destiny. which was really like a peak experience for us. And, and I will say gave me a whole new appreciation of Inflatables. But, you know, we actually live on a neighborhood where, you know, people come from far and wide for Halloween and one of the challenges, is, this is going to sound crazy, is that you it's really hard to like store all these decorations. And so I've learned in recent years, too, like one of the beauties of an inflatable is just that you can actually have one and store it in your small house. But anyway, that was amazing. And I just have to thank you for letting us in there because that was like a really, really cool experience. Like a Willy Wonka experience. It was a Willy Wonka experience. See, yeah, it's one of those moments. I agree with Yeah. And that's one of those companies that is gigantic that you've never heard of that makes so many things that we all interact with in our day-to-day lives. You know, it was, it was cool to learn about that. Go ahead. You kind of just 
casually connected the dot that your co-founder was looking for a solution. And it was actually, if I understand the story, it was his physician who's like, you can't be hunched over in this wretched seat position all day long. You need to move around a little bit more. And I mean, from that idea, you both looked around and it was sort of a desert. Like well, yeah, the and- options weren't really there for people. We didn't even have the language yet about how to think about our workplace. Is that right? And and just to sort of add to that, I mean, you're saying that he, you came upon him and he had made sort of like a DIY standing desk with cardboard boxes, right? Like at the recommendation of his physician. So tell us a little bit more about that because it's such a cool origin story. Yeah. So, you know, Dan and I, I was president of his company. And so we just, we had offices just near each other. I would walk into his office and for a while he started having his laptop up on cardboard boxes in his office. And of course I kind of razzed him. I said, what's going on? Are you okay? And he said, oh, I've got back pain. And I, I asked my doctor about it and she said, well, if you feel better standing up, then you should stand up. more." And he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. So Rosemary was our assistant and she's, going online with Dan and they're Googling standing desks and trying to figure out a solution for him and couldn't find anything. And so these crazy contraptions would show up six or eight weeks later, cost hundreds or thousands of dollars. And Dan would call me and say, hey, come to my office and look at these crazy things that have shown up. And we're trying to attach them to his desk. They didn't work. They were wobbly. One desk showed up and it took the guys, we had to hire some people. It took them eight hours on a Saturday to assemble this $3,000 desk. And so Dan walks in one morning and says, I've been dreaming about this product all night. I've got an idea for an item. So I grabbed our industrial designer, David Patton, and I he joined the meeting and the three of us stood there around Dan's traditional desk and he had his boxes sitting there and he started to describe, could something come out of a box? Could I grab like the sides of it and just stand up when I want to and then sit down right when I want to? And David was just drawing what Dan was describing and literally over a two hour period gave birth to the idea of what became Veradesk. And tell us a little bit more about that original product, because I know at least a version of it still exists to this day. And, and it's it pretty was, innovative. Won yeah, a bunch was, of innovative design yeah, awards. Yeah, it won all these amazing <clears throat> awards, if I'm not mistaken. And so just tell us, can you describe it a little more? Tell us more about it, because it's so cool. Yeah, the whole, when, when Dan was describing, he said, everybody's got a desk, but they just want to stand up you know, throughout the day. What he noticed was when he was standing at his laptop with the cardboard box and he couldn't do it all day. He just hadn't built up the, the strength to stand. All so he wanted to kind of move his laptop down. So he said the perfect, so what he described was something in, with handles that would, would pull right up. And so as we started to build our prototypes at Patton and, and we were working on the, on the prototypes, started to work on lifting mechanisms. How could it lift? Could it lift like an ironing board? How could we, you know, reduce any pinch points? And David started just concepting out what became the ideas. And eventually we decided if there was a two handle lift, so you could grab from both sides that you could have your monitors on it and just instantly grab these handles and lift up. And the way we designed it was so it kind of pulled towards you just a little bit so that you weren't wrenching over your back, trying to lift it straight up. Kelly, you may know why this is a thing, but you don't want to lift straight up with your body hunched over, but just something that would kind of pull towards you and naturally allow you to stand. And so that became the first prototypes that we started to design. And so we did the same thing. We, we built some prototypes. We shared them internally with ourselves. Dan and I started to use them and Dan instantly felt better. He's like, oh, this is starting to work. You know, I can go 
up and down. And so we started to show it to people inside the Jemmy headquarters and they all started to like it, like, oh, this is great. So we would take it from one person that had been using it, let somebody else try it. And the person we took it from said they missed it. Oh, I wish I had the standing desk back. And so that's when we knew we were sort of onto something bigger. What do they say? There's a little distance twixt the cup and the lip. Step one, you guys happen to have an industrial prototyper around, a genius <laughs> manufacturer. You happen yeah, you're to be like, one hey, of let the, me just get my industrial designer. <laughs> you happen to be a pretty good-sized company, sort of rules the world in its niche space. How do you go from that to the world leader of thinking about office space and moving and the health of people? Because you start with a problem, but you guys didn't say, this is going to be a, a, we're going to start here, but we're going to end in reconceptualizing how many trash cans a place uses or how to block out sound or create work environments. And now pivoting into how to support people at home. How do you make that jump? I talk about, you know, you've got to constantly innovate or die. And so you're, as an entrepreneur, you're looking for pain points that you see in the marketplace. So we were literally looking at Dan's back pain and we were solving that particular challenge. What you never know in the business world is if that idea is going to stick. And so somebody told me a long time ago, if you can get a small group of people to love something, there's an opportunity for a large group of people to like it. If a small group of people only like the idea, it's probably not that big of an idea. So what we did was literally take the idea. Once some of the employees liked it, we said, I've got to get it outside these four walls. I'm president of the company. I need to get real feedback from the battlefield of commerce. So the first client we knew, somebody knew somebody that the president of Verizon's call center. So we walked in, showed them the prototype. The only marketing material I had was a Wall Street Journal that Dr. Levine had coined sitting is the new smoking from the Mayo Clinic. And that was sort of the, the idea of, hey, there is a, there's a need out here. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what this contraption is, but let me get my ergonomist in and let me get my head of HR. And I didn't know what an ergonomist was. This is 10 years ago. I leaned over to David Pat. I was like, what's an ergonomist? And he starts describing <laughs> before the gentleman walks in. But he starts talking about, you know, posture and sitting and standing and the head of HR. So this is a huge deal. Back pain is the number one people one of the top reasons that people miss work. So we're taking notes. The ergonomist gives us feedback on how to contour the edges, how the grip should be, what should the lift be. And so this is how you learn on the battlefield. So we're, I'm just, it's Dan and David and I talking to other human beings in person, interacting on an idea. Then we took it over to the container store. And the container store is known for, and they're, they're happen to be down the street from us, for amazing really culture and innovation the way they think about it. they know they make great products i was like this will give us great feedback i don't know anything about the furniture industry do we have an item that people might buy and i walk in and they've already got standing desks in their offices and i said oh what's well, over you know it's it's already done there's <laughs> right. they said we make our own standing desks but when I showed it to him that it goes up and down and they were growing and changing their offices and I'm watching, and I'm just listening, just like all of us do as, as leaders, as entrepreneurs. And they said, our challenge is we already have a static height desk. So if somebody that's fun size, my daughter's four foot 11 says she's fun size versus somebody taller needs to work in that same space. We have to get the guys to come in and it's a 30 minute to two hour process to move this desk or somebody wears different shoes or kicks their shoes. So I'm like, oh, adjustability, flexibility works. So we kept massaging it. And they both asked the magic word, which was, how much do they cost? And we said, we didn't know it, you know, in our back of our minds. We said, what are you willing to invest in your employees? And that's 
literally the listening was like, okay, we've got something here. Other people want it. And that's where we started on the journey of product. So I still want to go back to the original desk only because I do know that you guys showed up at like a furniture trade show and no one knew who you were. And I think you had that single product at the time and you guys won. Am, am I not mistaken that you won a bunch of awards or like the award? Could you just tell us a little bit about that? We're incubating something new. I knew about consumer products, but I didn't know anything about the office furniture. And so I asked, where's the big, is there like a trade show? And they said, yeah, Neocon in Chicago is the once a year trade show for office furniture. So at the last minute, there were three booths across from each other. So I we got all three booths and we basically set our furniture up on the sides and stood in the middle of the aisle to make our booth space look really big. And we showed up in our jeans and our black t-shirts and we show up and I realized everybody's in a suit. And I'm like, oh no, 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 this is, we got logos printed on our t-shirts. Nobody has logo printed t-shirts. <laughs> but when they walked, they walked down the aisle, we're standing there and the judges go, what is this? And we describe it, you know, and at the time we called it the single and the dual. So the single monitor and the dual monitor. And they said, y'all must be from Texas because dual sounds like a gunfight. So I'm like, okay, got to change the name if I'm going to do something. <laughs> You're like noted. Noted. So again, listening. You're just listening to the customers and you, you take them along the journey with you. And so they said these things, but they said this product is so innovative. And we described our price point was less than $400 delivered. And they said, oh, you got to raise the price, list and discount. They started talking about all these crazy things, the way the furniture industry operates. So again, I'm making mental notes. I said, well, how does the furniture industry operate? And they said, it operates like a dealer network, just like your automotive industry. It's a handful of manufacturers and a bunch of dealers. And so you might buy a Herman Miller or a steel case, but there might be multiple dealers inside of different cities owned by different people. I was like, oh my God, this is so antiquated. We're going to build Tesla. We're going to do something very, very different here and build a totally different business. Just again, getting ideas, planting seeds. But we won first and second place for the most innovative products out there for our two products. And we were off, to, off and running to the races. That is I, so I annoying if, as an old established. Yeah, and, and I wonder if the next year everybody else came in jeans and logo t-shirts. Um, I wonder if that also kind of like permeated through the conference. Well, I just, I got to get back to one other subject, which I think is so clutch. And we had our own experience with, which is the affordability piece. Because when we first discovered, start, you know, Kelly talked about standing at work in 2010 when he did a talk to Google employees. And at that time, it really was the dark ages. Like if you went and typed in standing desk online, you could get these desks that were between five and $10,000. Treadmill, you know, swimming pool and, desks. And some of them were really very, you know, they, they really would take like two hours to move up and down. There wasn't any flexibility or easy adjustability. And the ones that you could actually plug in and adjust were seriously $10,000. So obviously not scalable in any way. But, you know, t just... Tell me a little bit about like, first of all, from a business model standpoint, it, it sounds like what you guys are learning in this early stage is that you want to go direct to the consumer and cut out the sort of dealer network. I'm not sure if that's what you ended up doing, but I think maybe it was. And just a little bit about what you're thinking, because I, I know the affordability piece is really what I think was one of the biggest. I mean, the early desk was what, 400 bucks, something like that. Yeah, it's still $395 delivered. So slides out of the box. Our whole thing was just like those inflatables. If, if it's easy to use, people will use it. So again, slide out of the box, no tools, no, no assembly. And we just started to sell. We initially tried through the dealers. That didn't work. So we did an ad in Sky Mall Magazine, jokingly, because we were trapped on a tarmac for four hours without any Wi-Fi flipping through 
magazine and became the number one selling item in Sky Mall's history. And so it was like off to the races. That's a douche. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. alone. You're like, you we need to lead with that. Yeah, you're like, check. Jason, number one, yeah, yeah. Sky Mall history. Yeah. I hope that's in your Instagram profile. Yeah, they, they went bankrupt a, a year and a half later and we, they owed us a bunch of money, but that's your financial segment. <laughs> but you learn from all these things as, as business owners. But again, by listening to the friction points, so we're addressing Dan's back pain and then we start to see friction within the business model. There was all this opacity when you buy stuff. And we, again, you look at the way Jim Senegal built Costco, the way Jack Vogel built Vanguard. We just believe Sam built Walmart, everyday value. Like the way Amazon is crushing you know, certain categories, it's like everyday value, one simple price, and sell it direct without any middle people involved in, in the process that are unnecessary steps. And we just thought we would simplify it. And as it started to happen, what I was telling Dan is I said, I think we have a shot to build one of the great companies and organizations out there and really build something that can live beyond my lifetime. And so I said, if you take all these great companies, the way that Tony Shea at Zappos did customer service, the way Southwest Airlines does culture, the way that Tesla was disrupting and simplifying electric vehicles, and the way that you could procure things, and you start layering all those things in, it's like we could take the best of all these businesses and build a different business model. By listening to our customers, we were selling, obviously, the, the Vera desk at the time, and they would email us and say, hey, do you have any mats? And I was like, mats? Why? Oh, because I'm on concrete. I'm on wood. I need anti-fatigue mat. I'm standing for five hours. So I started going on Amazon. This was my R&D research. And I bought every single mat that was bundled with our product. And we laid them all out. And David and I were standing there. We're like, we can build a better mat. These aren't that good. And became the number one selling mat on Amazon. Then people were showing us pictures of monitor arms jerry-rigged to our product. So we reached out and we redesigned how monitor arms are attached to desks and became one of the largest sellers of monitor arms. We started to look at the electric standing desk category the same way that Steve Jobs, I would argue, looked at the MP3 category and said, every desk is five or $10,000. It takes two hours to assemble. We want one you can make in five minutes. And David worked on that thing for a year with the team. And suddenly we're one of the largest sellers of electric standing desks out there, all by listening to the customer. And then we had to move out. So we moved into a, a, our own space. We spun out from Jemmy from an entity standpoint. And we started to build standing conference tables and walls that moved because our space was changing. It became a living, breathing thing where traditionally you put up a bunch of sheetrock, you have a bunch of offices, it goes into a landfill every five years. We said, could we build a living, breathing workspace, like a maker space that would be the office of the future? And that's when we were off to elevating the vision for what we ultimately are becoming. So just back to you and your own journey in this, it sounds like for at least a time you were doing two jobs, which is trying to do your original job as president of Jemmy and then also building out this other company. At what point did you go all in on Veradesk and, you know, how, how did you make that transition or, or was it, was it early? Was it just, did you get like sort of proof of concept early on and you're like, okay, this is what I'm focused on. Yeah, at first it was both. Dan was chairman of both businesses and we were, it was, you know, it's like an internal side hustle, even though we had both businesses, we, we were physically five minutes apart. But within about six to nine months, we recognized this one was taking off on its own trajectory. And so you picture Jemmy was created back in 1985. So you've got almost a 30 plus year old business that's 
running and is the largest, one of the largest producers of Christmas and Halloween in the world. And then you've got this like startup coming out of the gate, you know? And so basically Dan and I just talked, we promoted Roger to be president of Jemmy. He's done an amazing job at Jemmy. And I just said, I'm going to just focus here on the team and really see what we got here. Again, early on, we're probably two or three years old, and it's like, we've got to give this a chance. Can we turn this into a teenager? Can we get it to a 20 or 30-year-old? Can it live beyond my lifetime? And so to nurture it, and really for me as a leader to challenge myself, could I, could I build it from zero up? And so we've been, we started to, to really hit that curve. I think in 2016, we were the fastest growing company in Dallas. In 2017, we won Entrepreneurs of the Year for the country with EY. And so we were on this crazy, and I would describe it as if I was 25 years old, I would have crashed because I wouldn't have hired the right people. I wouldn't have surrounded myself with amazing talent or invested in the infrastructure. I would have came off the guardrails personally and not taking care of myself. So all those things allowed us to hit just different strides of our growth during those early days. I just want to say too, in terms of, you know, for all our listeners, Jason is not kidding. I actually, somewhere in my Instagram past, I made a time-lapse video of putting together a fully electric, height-adjustable, very standing desk in like four minutes. And I am not handy. So... I don't even remember the the occasion for that, but I, I can attest to you can have literally no no skill, zero tools, and put that thing together quickly, plugged in, and like working and functional. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, Dan and I always kind of think about things backwards. Just you know, we we want to make it easy for us, and we're not that handy either. So we can do it. Anybody can do it. Exactly. So suddenly, there's a definitely a transformation where people are realizing, hey, we're sedentary. And one of the things that I appreciate about you and working with your advisor, Mark Benden, and just having been at the company, just so everyone understands, it's not necessarily about sitting versus standing. It's about moving and being more comfortable and having more dynamic work options. Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the vision is really elevated. When we started on the journey, it was to create happier, healthier, more productive workspaces. That was literally the first words I said when we met with our first potential client at Verizon. But what I recognized years later is we're really about elevating people, creating workspaces, and transforming their cultures through workspace design. And if we could create a canvas where people would feel healthier, happier, more productive, if the workspace could work for them, if it could ebb and flow and change over time, that's what we were doing. When people would walk into our offices, like y'all have been in here, you walk in, there's music playing, you walk in, there's a coffee bar close by. The energy is different. There's music in the restrooms. People don't think about little details like that. As they're walking through, there's biophilia, which is where you take plants and nature and bring those elements into the workspace. And then you start to have a space that changes and flexes. And so if you need more teams and huddle rooms, you can actually change a space. And so for us, when people would walk in, they said, oh, I want this. And they would start to wave their hands in the air. I want this. What they were describing was the energy of the space, the culture that we were creating and building versus standing desks. And so to allow people to have a standing desk, to sit, you know, areas to sit, soft seating, collaboration areas, flexible areas, outdoor space and outdoor amenities, all those in workspace became the journey that we were on. We started to recognize it was much bigger than just a desk. And so that's that's why we've been pushing hard on really how can we impact the lives of, 
of people that ele- elevate cultures, communities. Well, two comments. I recently w- was in your, just this last fall, saw your newer offices and had um, one of the greatest cappuccinos I've had in recent memory, by the way. So you wait, guys wait, are like, getting that right. One of the best cappuccinos or like best cappuccino at a workplace, like a corporate cappuccino. No, I mean like best cappuccino, like competitive with like an Italian cappuccino. Wow. It was awesome, by the way. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about this because I think what Kelly and I, and we've also, you know, both of us have been to your offices and- it's really sort of hard to describe without actually being there. But when you're in an office that is so carefully thought out to be flexible and dynamic and all of the details are thought about, it really does have this gigantic imp- impact on culture. It's hard to even really describe because we we come in the office as visitors. You know, we're not employees, but we come in the door and we can feel and see that as guests. Yeah, and people um, say culture is what you do. It's not what you talk about, what yeah. you do. And when you come in and the environment is shaped, and yeah, it's got to impact businesses. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit more and maybe even some of success stories that you've heard from people who've kind of bought into this vision? Because I just don't think a lot of people are thinking how significantly environment impacts culture. So I just, I think there's a lot there. We'd love to hear more about that. It's the little details. So we we bought a building that was built in the 80s. It's the original Zales headquarters. And this is a 400,000 square foot building in in the heart of Dallas-Fort Worth in the Irving area. And so we we bought it and said, we're going to transform it into an ideation lab and showroom for us and literally learn and test. And we, we were not in soft seatings. We didn't have privacy pods. We were early in our generation of how our walls would move, but we said, we want to create this workspace of the future and then we'll prove it out ourselves. We'll become a tenant in here and we'll try it. We'll lease it out to other companies and we'll learn with them. And then we will be able to work with other building owners and transform and other high growth companies and transform spaces. So it starts with the little things. And so we took a campus that sat empty for six years and we brought it really back to life. So we started with the the investment on the outside. So you're literally walking up and there's music playing. So instantly, whether you're a guest, an employee, a vendor, somebody that you're starting to feel energy right when you walk up to the space. When you come into the inside, it's my team that's there to welcome and greet you. So if you're a visitor, if you happen to be a tenant in our building, so this building will hold well over a thousand people. And so we have tenants in here like Rumble On and Akili and Verizon and some others. And so we've, we've got them in here as well as us. And so our team members start to know your names. We're hosting events that are happening so that these companies can collaborate and get together. And this is all was designed pre-COVID. Open stairwells for movement. We took out the old escalators that were built from the 80s but allowed to have that. And then we have a one acre courtyard and we invested in a in beautiful patios with Texas native plants to host indoor and outdoor events so that we envision that people would want to have, whether it's book clubs, you know, book signings or events or speakers come in or music, all could be encapsulated in a workspace, training facilities. And then when you get into your suite, it's using all of our, and everything in here is, is our very furniture. So Picture walls that move. Everything is glass and aluminum and it's all writable, but it allows to move and change with the space. Plenty of soft seating and breakout areas, whether you just want to sit, recharge, or put on your meditation app and, re- and breathe for a little bit. Or you go into, we've got a 10,000 plus square foot gym with very high in amenities, towel service, beautiful shower. So there's no excuse not to get a great workout in when you want it. And a 0.6 mile walking trail around the campus. So it's all of a sudden within nine months, we were fully leased. 
and we were like, okay, we're on to something. And then we bought our second building in South Lake, literally did that building sat empty for 11 years, did the same transformation. It's beautiful. And it during COVID, because we bought it right before COVID, has leased over 50%. And so we recognize that we're onto something. And now we're building our third bearer space, and that'll give us a million square feet in Dallas, Fort Worth, that'll literally allow us to learn. So clients like y'all can fly in from all over the country and ultimately the world as it begins to heal see what we envision as the workspace of the future, visit these campuses, see different office configurations, and you immediately feel if it's right for you or not. And then we can come in and we transform spaces for clients all over the country. Amen. Can I just get an amen? <laughs> like showing up at your work spot. You know, as a physical therapist, I worked in plenty of offices that had carpeted ceilings, hung floors, little cubicles. And I was like, oh, these fluorescent lights are killing me. <laughs> this is the worst, unhealthiest, gnarliest place I've ever been. We, you kind of mentioned, you tripped over this word COVID, where all of a sudden people <laughs> may have been in a, a work environment that may have worked for them or may have been, we'll call it heritage, where you just, you know, sometimes people, in, you know, you just inherit an old work such situation and people just park traditional desks in there. But regardless, suddenly people were at home and... I don't know about you, but my home potentially is not set up for lots and lots of desk-bound work. What did you find out about sort of COVID and people's work at home? And was that a lesson or, you know, what, what, what are the lessons from that? Yeah. So early on, I think like everybody, we had, we had already had drills to, in case our Wi-Fi and internet internet went down. So hundred percent of my team was on laptop and we had already practiced having a quote, empty the building drill. So we went home and I think like everybody assumed that for the next two weeks and we'd all come back to the office and everything would yeah. be normal <laughs> again. Yeah. We, we, li we lived in that two week dream for a little while too. Yep. <laughs> and so I reached out to my teams in Asia who are about eight to 12 weeks ahead of us. And they were talking about masks and, you know, thermal scanners. And they were talking about stickers on the floor and plexiglass shields and distance space design. So literally while everybody was out, I think it was March 14th of that year, we transformed the entire headquarters because everything in our wall, in our spaces are designed to move. So I spread everybody out, changed, we tripled the number of walls in our space. We tested plexi panels. I bought the thermal scanner from the Taipei 101. I bought the same one that they use in the tallest building in Taiwan. And we started to incorporate these all before the CDC. I added another coffee bar, single serving, and we welcomed our team back June of 2020. We said, we're coming back. We're an essential business for work from home. And to your point, our work from home orders pivoted and shifted and escalated immediately. So our orders were roughly 70% were going to corporate offices before COVID and maybe 30% were going to people's homes. And overnight, in less than a two-week period, it went to 90% of our shipments were getting shipped to people's homes and only 10% were going to offices because people got home. And what happened was after two weeks on the sofa, the futon or whatever, they're crunched over the laptop. And you're talking to these chiropractors, you're like, oh my God, these people are already getting tech neck right off the bat. They need the same tools that they're going to have seamlessly. So, you know, first it was technology, get everybody with laptops and get them remote with Wi-Fi access. But then it became the tools. And so we started to do work from home programs. And so basically what most people start to realize is whatever the tools are that were ergonomically set up for me to work in the office, I kind of need the same setup. So dual screens, great chair, what I needed to sit or, it's a, or it's something like our active seat where you can perch when you want, height adjustability, 
all the same tools that somebody like Dr. Benden would recommend for someone to have, but I need it in my home office. And then I need the ability to have privacy. So we saw it, it shoot up for us. And we started like everybody to, to scramble and figure out what are we going to do for people? So we, we designed over a thousand offices during the last 12 months. So even the last, since all of COVID, I've done over 2000 offices and a lot of them we do two designs for like, what does it look like now when our teams are coming back a few days a week or in huddle areas or team rooms to safely meet? And what does it look like in the future? And then we did tens of thousands of home offices for clients. And what I've seen is that they traditionally want the same setup as much as they can that they have at their workspace when they're in the office. And so every company is going to be a little different, but that's what I'm seeing is sort of table stakes. If, if I'm going to allow this flexibility for my team, I don't want them to go home and crunch over a laptop and sit on the kitchen stool hunched over. I want them to have flexibility in space. So I think it's us working with these companies and clients to think about what does that look like for the future of workspace. And I just want to point out that we were fortunate enough that we were able to procure two you know, height adjustable desks for our daughters for their whole year on. We, yeah, we actually already had them when they got stuck at home and <laughs> on Zoom school. But it made Zoom school so much better for them to have agency and to be able to fidget and to perch and just have movement choice. Cause we saw that these growing bodies around us just were locked into these six and seven hour epic Zoom sessions. And it wasn't great. It was not great for the development of a growing body. Yeah, a lot of I know our teenagers. You're here. Oh, they're in the they're in the bed all day. These poor, you know, teachers are are seeing these. You know, they're sitting in their sheets still. So, I think to to find <laughs> safe, healthy ways to create a space, and then as we've we've learned, so we we came out with a line of smaller desks. So you know, most of our stuff was in the sixty inch size. So we started to come out with smaller sizes because not everybody's got room for a five foot desk. So it's you know, can I get something that's 48 or 40 inches? Can I get something with a little different depth? Can I get the portable laptop stand or something that's just a little bit more mobile for me as I maybe jump it over to Starbucks or wherever and I'm looking for a space to, to get out of my home office for a little while too. So I, yeah, for us, it's continuing to navigate that. But I use the word seamless because wherever I plug into, I, you know, we just want to create a workspace that allows people for productivity, for health and wellness when they're in their home space or whether they're in an office space or a third space to try to figure out what those products and tools are going to be. Yeah, there shouldn't be a cost. You shouldn't feel terrible after being at work. <laughs> and we try to tell people, you know, you can actually leave a good day of work and have moved a lot and feel good. And you don't have to feel like I need to open up my hips for three hours to, uh, <laughs> to redress this. One of the things that putting aside the health and, and well-being of your workers, if that's important to you. I mean, may, maybe you can just have troglodyte people hunched over all day and it's totally fine because that's part of your business model. But you certainly have to have found out that reimagining the workplace and having sort of this more turned on person because they're moving more, that's got to be a competitive financial advantage. Is your experience working with companies, are they seeing that there's a financial bottom line? I mean, sure, people go out on less on work and disability, and that's fine. And HR is super stoked because you save a company millions of dollars. But let's just pretend that it's not about that. Let's pretend that it is it a competitive advantage to have a place where people are moving more, able to move more. Yeah, I think the the number one thing that they're measuring is, and they're they're trying to figure out what that that what how do you how do you measure it? But it's engagement. 
Am I excited to be here? Am I making a difference? Am I making an impact? Do I believe in the mission of the company? Do I buy into the values of the organization? Do I feel like I'm personally contributing to that? And how do you measure that? And there's surveys out there. We're seeing that with companies that create a workspace because when you create a, a flexible workspace that really is very pro-employee and it allows him or her to work in the best ways for them possible, it shows you care. By loving on your employees, they in turn love and they love the work that they're doing and adding to it. They're loving on the fans and the customers are out there. That ripple effect starts to happen. Also, as your fans and your customers start to experience what you're doing and the impact that you're having on their organizations, that ripple effect continues to grow and your fan base starts to grow. So we, we look at it there. You always look at, you can start to look at the, the financial side. And I think it all starts to work itself out, but engaged, impactful cultures that are making a difference out there, higher recruitment, higher retention rates, and ultimately, I think, better, stronger businesses long term. If you look at what Simon Sinek talks about, that infinite game, when they build these infinite businesses, I think these healthier organizations that companies are building for with healthier cultures ultimately survive and thrive long term. So we look at it like our, our values were battle tested during the last 18 months. Our business model has been tested. Our vision, are we truly here to create workspace to other people? We've donated now almost $6 million worth of product to nonprofit organizations in the last three years to help them impact the world. So I think all those things our team sees in all the organizations and the, the tens of thousands of companies that we've worked with are starting to see it and they start to come back and they start to reach out. We had, a, we had a client in the Northwest and they said, hey, we're gonna have a thousand of our employees that are gonna work remote at least three or four days a week. So we said, okay, let's figure out how you wanna do it. So they said, we're gonna let them all. So they all logged in on the website between Monday through Thursday. We shipped out all 1000 desks on Friday and chairs and the whole set of monitors. And by the following Friday, 100% were up. We didn't have to go. I thought we'd have to go to a few houses and help them. Nobody needed a thousand people like in less than a week. So that's what's going to happen. And these thousands of workspaces that now we can, they can call us six months later and say, hey, we've just hired a new team. We want to change it. Or this isn't working. Nobody's using this space. Great. We'll come in and change it. Where before that wasn't even possible. So we're, we're very early in learning what that means. But I, I think we're building something fantastic. I think the the flexibility is so cool. So I have to go back to something because I, I want to move on, sort of. But Kelly mentioned it early on. And, and again, I think we've talked about how you guys have done such a spectacular job of thinking about and creating places or ways in which people have to move throughout their day, as opposed to just, you know, hunched over their laptop for eight continuous hours. But the one that has always struck us is the trash can thing. We will never forget that from our first visit to your office. And so I can't, I can't move on until you just at least tell our listeners what that is and so they can understand why we found it so striking. <laughs> yeah, when we when we were when we were just thinking about our workspace, we said in the perfect world we wouldn't have a a, a little trash basket under every single person's desk. People should be, you know, if we had centralized trash and recycling, people would get up and interact with other people and be forced to move so they're not just dropping the banana peels and a couple of things happened. One, it got people up and moving and interacting because it's amazing who you bump into, whether it's grabbing a, a coffee or going to the trash can or putting something in the recycle bin, like that interaction. And that was just a, a little piece of our culture. 
two, we recognize it started to save us a lot of money because all of a sudden the little tiny bags, we might have had a hundred of them, just one recycle, one trash, real simple. We started to just look at those metrics. The other thing is by tour all these great organizations, like we were out at the Google headquarters and I'm touring it and they said, hey, if they gave away everything for free and we just didn't believe in that. So we charged for our you know, drinks and waters and snacks and whatnot. And they said if they hid the Snicker bars and they frosted the glass over the sodas, that less people would consume those products. So we had always just charged more for them. But I immediately called my team and we frosted the glass over anything that might be a, something not as healthy. And we hid anything that, you know, in the snack drawer off to the side and it reduced consumption overall. Bringing plants into the space, creating biophilia. Feel your energy level just feels better when you're on plants. You you start to centralize trash and recycling. You start to add biophilia. You hide the snacks, and all of a sudden, that's all elements to the culture and the productivity and the health and wellness of your people. And the fact that you care about those details shows in your people. And then you share those ideas with other organizations, like y'all do every day, and you help them get better. And that's ultimately why we're on this journey of life anyway, is to help and serve others. I love that. I was just going to say that we call that environmental constraint. And, you know, the first time I was exposed to that actually in physical therapy school, if someone has a, like a head injury or a traumatic brain injury and they have a deficit on one side, what you actually do is constrain the well side and you make the more affected side do all the work. And one of the things that we've started to realize is that we can actually use that behavior constraint process as a way of thinking about lots of things. That if I leave my phone in the kitchen, I'm not going to be on my phone during the day. If I don't buy cookies, I'm not going. You know, I'm not going to eat a bunch of cookies. Right. You know, right. It, if if I have to walk a hundred meters to recycle my that's a long can, way. Whatever. Maybe that's a, that's a huge office. But, but but a little ways. But when you start to view that as a, this behavior constraint, pretty soon you can apply that algorithm to a whole lot of net positive behaviors, and you run into something that the the Brits called aggregation of marginal gains in performance, which is all these small details aggregate into a real competitive advantage and a real environmental change. I was just going to say too, I was really able to appreciate that because I had an, my own work experience. I used to be a lawyer. We had an original office that had open stairs so you could go between the floors and open stairs without having to take the elevator. And then this was back in the day before everything was digital and we actually had a library. So in order to do our legal research, we would have to leave our floor, walk up a flight or two of stairs, go to the library, at which point we would interact with other humans. And then we then would walk back to our office and the culture was vastly different. We moved into an office where you could only move between floors and elevators. All of the legal research went online and it really changed the whole work experience. People would go to the office and stay inside their office all day, maybe only leave for lunch. And in fact, I knew what an impact it was because I actually left the law firm. I'd been gone for two years and I came back to have lunch with someone and I ran into a woman and we obviously weren't close. And I realized in talking to her that she did not know that I'd left the firm because... You know, we just had, and I think so much of that was just driven by this weird environment where we were all siloed from each other on different floors. There was, you know, no library. There was no real like location or reason to kind of connect as a group. And it was a real damage to the culture, just the loss of that one physical space. So anyway, I think that's part of the reason why I so appreciate what you guys are doing. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, and I, and I think that the next generation of workers that are, that are, that are entering the battlefield here, they need to learn 
from all of us that are in the, the, the middle latter parts of our careers is we're going on our journey and that apprenticeship piece and that gap out there where they don't get to watch the human interaction. It's oxytocin and all these other chemicals that I think just naturally happen and you start to feel it. So I'm what I'm hoping is that we can continue to find ways in these spaces. And if, if people do need some focus time that they can have it, but to encourage it and, you know, and I'm quite introverted, but I, I do recognize I need to be around people to get energy as well, even, even though I may recharge alone, but I, I get so much energy from the staff and the buzz and helping the next generation of leaders, coaching, learning from great mentors and leaders. Jeff Lamb, my president talks about, you know, you're not going to have, Thanksgiving dinner on Zoom to see grandma. I mean, you're, you need to be interacted. Our bodies are, and she, as humans, we're social creatures. So how do we create spaces that safely allow that? And I think that's our challenge as leaders is to encourage it and fight through this, this pendulum swing that wants to just throw everybody and stare at a screen all day because that's not what we're designed to be is to figure out solutions with all these great companies and schools and organizations to safely think about the, the working of the future, how we interact as human beings to healthy and create these healthy organizations. What are you even doing as a CEO, Juliet? Oh my God. So Jason, I know that you all recently went through a rebrand, which I can relate to because we rebranded our company in 2019 and it is certainly, it's a thing. So I know you went from Veridesk, how we first came to know you as a company and um, rebranded to Very. So tell us a little bit about that process and the thinking around it. And Was it um, worth it? Was it worth it? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, it was worth it. A little scary when you jump. You know, I think everybody that walked into our space said, God, you're so much more than a desk. I had no idea. What are you going to do? And I, I, several years ago, I've been looking online and trying to figure out what are we going to do? And we brainstorm, are we going to change our name totally? We hired some marketing firms. to. We invested some money with them just to, to brainstorm what could we do? I finally found the owner of Barry.com and I said, okay, I'm just going to buy it. I spent $68,000, I think, and bought the website. Couldn't figure out who the owner was for years, bought it and held it. And we went through a process. We worked with the same company, Landor, out in, in, in your area, and they helped take Federal Express to FedEx. Some people don't remember Federal Express, but to FedEx. And they took us through a process and it was painful and expensive. And I was like, oh my God, are we doing this? And and then we had to push it out and the team worked 18 months to rebrand everything because you don't realize how, how many things that your brand touches from the product to the website to the legal to all the stuff. And can you protect your trademarks globally? So we spent the millions of dollars, pushed into our big rebrand campaign on television. We said, we're going to go crazy and we're going to, you know, you can from design to installation in less than 28 days. We're going to create the workspace of the future. We started that in January and then COVID hit. It was literally like out of the gate. We're building workspaces and offices. We're very, we're here for you. You know us as Veridesk, but it was the right decision. I, I believe as we were researching the brand, they said it, for people that didn't know us, very could mean flexibility. It could be a tech company, could mean change, variety. For people that knew us as Veridesk, they gave us permission. We said, could we be very? And they said, absolutely. That's much closer to what you are. And so he said, we're going to go for it. And that's, it's been an incredible expensive, but I wouldn't change a thing. No, it really does way. capture what you're trying to do. It started as a desk. You can see how that was, a, we should be very desk. And then all of a sudden you're like, actually we're in workplace design. Right. 
you, know. you are much more than that. I want to say that I feel like um, ads are now targeted the way that they are on social media. So I'm not sure if we were targeted, but Kelly and I definitely saw that ad multiple times and we were like cheering, you know, from our living there's room. There's our friend like, Jason. There, yeah, there's Jason. Yeah. He's on TV. I wanna, anyway, that was cool. I want to tell a story because you all have been our partners for some projects locally. There was a local school, a tier one school in Marin where 80% obesity rate actually ended up getting into some legal issues at the state level. Brilliant principal came in and, you know, a lot of kids got two, two meals a day there, traditionally very poor school, a lot of uh, homeless kids. And we went in there and you are our partners and we flipped that school from sitting desks to this movement choice desk and I w and educated and the kids loved it. And they, you know, as, as they have pivoted, they, you know, the principal, David Finane, came back and was like, I need more desks. This is, we can never go back. You know, the kids were more engaged. They had better sort of test scores. There was a place to hang their backpacks. Some kids wouldn't even take their backpacks off because there's a hook on the desk. They could actually take their backpack off for the day because they weren't afraid it was going to get stolen. Kids were, just wouldn't fall asleep because they, even though they'd been out foraging for food all night with their families, right? Because they're food insecure, they would stay awake because they could move and they just we, you know, weren't getting the, the cues. And I, I don't know if you know that, and your your team was amazing, but it really transformed this local school with a really powerful idea that human beings are designed to move. We could reconfigure the desks into a circle. They could be small. They could individually fit a child on the spot. And I just, just wanted to say, I haven't told you personally, but thank you so much for for that incredible partnership because it really did transform a local community. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You know, and I, I think we kicked off that project with you and I heard the, the challenges that that school was facing in those kids. And I think we as leaders have an obligation to push and, and help any which way we can. And so it is absolutely our honor to be a part of it. And you're you're definitely the tip of the spear. Y'all are both doing that to, to make an impact out there. We're, we're a small piece of it in the product side to do that. But I know that if we do it right and we plant these seeds, these positive seeds of hope, um, of health all throughout, you know, these schools, we can impact them in the universities and we can impact them in these other organizations, in these nonprofits and, and continue to serve it's going to pay so many dividends to us from a societal standpoint and the impact is going to be felt way beyond our lifetimes. And so I appreciate all the incredible work that y'all do to impact so many lives out there. So Jason, before we let you go, if you had a crystal ball and looked sort of one, two, five years into the future about what work looks like, and I do think COVID is, has given us all this important pause moment to think about, okay, how do we work? You know, do we need to work in the old traditional ways now that we're very technology driven? You know, how can we rethink people, you know, people's time so that they can be flexible, which seems to be the number one thing on people's minds is flexibility. But, you know, you are right at the tip of the spear in terms of how people work. What do you think? Like, what's, what's the future of work? What are we looking at? Yeah, I think we're obviously the, the, the pendulum swung. And I think that we realize we're not designed to just be in our homes, locked down, staring at a screen all day with no movement and activity. So say fact, we all. Fact, fact. And there's something magical that has happened. Every event that I've been to, as we've, you know, we've onboarded hundreds of people since 
all during COVID as we've interacted in person again and started to see the impact that we can have and schools have started to come back and we start to see all these things, these, these tides rise. I do think there is flexibility. And so if the spaces of the future are designed for culture, communication, collaboration, how do we encourage that to safely happen in the future? And then when you do need areas of focus, how do we create those, whether it's in a workspace or a home space or a third space, and you do need some time to focus, but most people don't need eight hours of focus time. They need a couple hours. So how do you drop into a space? You need to focus on some deep dive, but encourage activity and movement. So I, I do think it's going to continue that flexibility is going to be the word. The idea that that sheetrock is going to go up and every couple of years it's going to get ripped down and tossed into a landfill because the work needs change. The amount of sheetrock that's already sitting in landfills, I do think that walls are going to continue to move that air and indoor and outdoor spaces are gonna to continue to be more important as we think about workspace design. I know there's a lot of companies thinking about the home space, because again, part of the challenges, uh, Kelly, you alluded to was even in the home space, it may be the air, it may be the noise, it may be the, the limited access to Wi-Fi or little subtle details that people may not have at home or the idea that you know they've got kids and other activities. We've gotta be able to create spaces for people to be productive. But I think at the end of the day, we're designed as humans to interact, to work together, to be together, and to serve each other. And so how do we create workspaces that encourage that and don't give up and take the easy approach of just saying, oh, we'll just ship you a laptop and you'll figure it out. Because a lot of people, when they talk about meeting somebody that's different than them, that speaks a different language, it looks different than them, that maybe has a different religion or went to a different college, happens in the workspace. It may not happen in your neighborhood, but it definitely happens in the workspace. So how do we encourage that? Because this is a great opportunity for us, whether it's through universities, through workspaces, to encourage collaboration, to encourage differing views, to learn compassion and empathy and service. This is how you do it as leaders and CEOs. We've got to work hard to create those spaces. So flexibility will be out there, some workspaces, home spaces, but we've got to continue to create areas where we can safely get together and learn about each other and make an impact together. Uh, Amen. Look, first principles. First principles. Uh, are you on social media yourself? Can we follow very CEO? How, how, uh, yeah. your, your story is amazing as like a, Harvard Business Review case. This is it's such an incredible story. Or where do people begin this conversation of understanding some of the information you guys have aggregated and collated and, and how you're putting that out? Yeah, everything that we have is put on very.com. So that's V-A-R-I.com. And then for me personally, the only thing, everything I produce is on LinkedIn right now. And it was all literally in the last two years of COVID, I had so many CEOs asking me, what are you doing about masks? And what are you doing about anti-vaccine shots? And what are y'all doing about? And instead of just telling them all one-on-one, I started to push it all out there. And I just decided that LinkedIn was going to be my sort of B2B communication channel with other CEOs and other leaders. And it's a real simple way for me to communicate and others to reach out to me. And then we can connect on email as well. And is it through your personal Jason McCann or is it through Very? Yeah, so it's Jason McCann on LinkedIn, and it's, uh, yeah, so they can just, I'm up there. They'll find me. <laughs> These guys are doing amazing work, so go follow them and check them out. We're, like, gigantic fans. Jason, we know you uh, don't have a day job, so thank you for carving out so much time for us on this day. It's great to see you, and can't wait to be in person with you again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And appreciate all y'all do for so many people out there. You've, you've impacted millions and millions of lives through your work, through your teachings, your books. I love that you're the tip of the spear out there doing fighting the good fight for all of us. So thank you for doing that. Thanks, Go Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.